Jane and I moved into a new house yesterday. And uh, it, was, it was exciting. Thank you for all of you that came out and helped us. It was huge. We have so much stuff, and we're working on that. Uh, just repent for hoarding in Jesus' name. Night, day of repentance here. And <laughs> come on, Lord, I want freedom. And uh, so uh, moving is, is sad and happy, right? There's exciting things about moving into a new place and new beginnings and thinking about what this new place could be and, you know, just enjoying a new space. There's something exciting about that. But there's also sadness, right, and saying goodbye. We, we were living in this house in Ipswich uh, on a wonderful street with some just very dear neighbors to us that we had gotten to know, which is so God because we're both kind of introverted and, and not just super outgoing. Uh, it was just the Lord used a series of things to help us get to know like half of our street. So we're really sad to leave, but we're, um, yeah, so joy, joy and sorrow. And so two, two people that have on our street that have become very dear to us are these two men right here. These two men, got it? Yeah. Oh, so this is Max at the top and Oscar at the bottom. And there are recycling guys. And so uh, my wife just said, hey, these guys are serving us every week. I want to bless them. And so every week we would, just, we would just bring treats to them for the last year and a half. We just, sometimes it was just dum-dums, you know. <laughs> we didn't have any baked goods that week. But, you know, we were always giving them something. And we, we, we broke the news to them yesterday, or sorry, Friday, our last trash day. And, uh, you know, they get out of the truck. We're hugging. You know, Max is, like, weeping a little bit. He's, like, getting a little teary-eyed, you know. Just because we've just have built a relationship with them, and they love our kids, and we love them, and uh, so uh, life is just full of of this kind of joy and and also sorrow, right? And um, we're in this series right now. Thanks, Anita. Of uh, oh, I just love you guys, Max and Oscar. Lord bless them. And uh, uh, talking about joy to the world, and we're in this year of joy, right? Where we're learning how to rejoice always. The question that I want to throw out there today is, hey, what's the relationship between joy and sorrow for a believer? It's kind of a, you know, hey, sometimes in life we mourn, and sometimes in life we rejoice. When things are going well, you know, we, we rejoice, and when things are not, we, we're sad and we, and we grieve that loss. What, it, what, it, what does it look like? For a believer to relate to joy and sorrow in life. Is it a yin-yang? Just half a life is bad, half a life is good. Or sometimes there's a mix or they're intermingling like our move where there's both at the same time. What is a Christian's relationship to joy and sorrow? And here's what we're going to find today. Joy is the baseline of a believer in Jesus. There is no yin and yang with joy and sorrow. There is sorrow, but it is always encompassed and overwhelmed by joy. Are you tracking with me? This is really important. Because of what Jesus has done, Jesus has given us a joy that serves as the baseline and all-encompassing reality of our existence for eternity. 
And that is not to say there are not hard seasons or things that are are sad in the moment, but every pocket of sorrow, or even if it's an extended season, is encompassed by the joy of the Lord because of the person of Jesus. Now, even if this does not feel like a reality for you, this is the will of God for your life and for your experience. The will of God is joy, is a baseline of joy that you are, as Tim Keller says, fundamentally and consistently happy. That is the will of God for how we experience life. Even in the midst of sorrow, that there is a baseline and an encompassing joy that surrounds us in every moment. Right? So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're setting... Sorry, I'm preaching before I even get to the sermon. Sorry, it's supposed to be the introduction. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even when enemies are surrounding me, Jesus is saying because of the work of Jesus that there is a banqueting table set before me where I can feast and rejoice. We all know Psalm 23, but do we believe it? Are we living that reality out by accessing the joy that Jesus has given us? What does he say? I have spoken these things that my joy, the level of joy that is shared between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity past would be in you and that your joy would be full once in a while. No, that is the existence of a believer, right? The baseline and the encompassing greater reality that we are being hurtled towards as the kingdom of God advances and as you age. Right? Okay. Sorry, I thought that would be funny. Because you will die one day and then hopefully you will be in the presence of Jesus if you love him, if he's your, if he's your savior. All right? So to see this today, I already kind of preached the sermon, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, which was beautifully read by Micah Hanchett this morning. Okay? So if you have a Bible... Why don't you just turn there? I'm going to be referencing. This is Luke chapter 2, the story that he read. You can, you can follow along as I, as I go through this, all right? And because it's 22 after, I'm just going to reference this, okay, instead of reading it again. Micah did a great job. So, hey, Luke 2, 1 through 7, we see Mary and Joseph as a pawn underneath the power of somebody else. Why, why does Luke give all this back to Caesar Augustus and... Quirinius was governor of Syria. You know, it's like, what is all this stuff? We see that Mary and Joseph are not powerful people in the eyes of the world. Their lives are affected by these larger-than-life people controlling things and moving people around. Maybe for you, you have that same feeling sometimes. You just feel like you're at the mercy of... Our government and their policies on immigration. Maybe it's the uh, societal view on kind of race and racism. That there's this bigger arc that is affecting your life and you feel powerless. Maybe it's the politics. Maybe it's uh, you've got little children that are dominating your life. Okay? I guess it's just me. Okay? Maybe it's a boss that is over you that is making your life difficult. Mary and Joseph are feeling the same thing, and Luke gives us this perspective of what's going on in the world with people that have power and are influencing their life. Now, this is the worst 
time in the world right, for them to be traveling. Just, can you just enter the story for a moment? Now, first of all, first child. Right? You understand how that goes, right? The first baby, you're nervous, you've never done this before. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're freaking out a little bit of like, how's this going to go and the birth and like, you know. Okay. Right? I mean, you know, that alone, plus the fact that, yes, she is pregnant and will give birth. They've got to go this long distance. They're not hopping in the car, right? They're riding on a donkey. I mean, we kind of make that part up. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but, you know, hopefully, you know, Joseph was able to procure a donkey for Mary to ride, okay? So they're, they're, they're dealing with all of this stuff in this, this, this deal. Then it, Luke drops this little bomb. Mary, his betrothed. Just reminding us of what could be possibly circling around the whole kind of stigma. Now they're traveling to see family. Right? This is where Joseph is from, it says. From Bethlehem. His family is from there. You follow me? Right? They're, they're traveling, they're, having, they're staying with family. That can be challenging. They've got this issue going on where Joseph's family is like, Joseph, what the heck are you doing? You know, she cheated on you, right? Or maybe they think they kind of, you know, made a little mistake beforehand. And then there's that little, you know, mother-in-law edge on Mary, okay? This is, this is not easy here. Are you following me? Okay? Shame, ridicule, embarrassment, maybe rejection. No room for them. You ever felt like that in your life? There's no room for you somewhere? There's no place for you? There's debate about whether it was an inn or whether it was as the NIV has now kind of retranslated in their updated version. You know, there was no room in the guest room. And so they're shoved into kind of the, the part of the house where the animals are. Jesus gets put in a water trough or a hay trough. That's what, that's what this is. We use it to dunk people now, too. Redeemed, okay? So there's this disappointment. I mean, think about, you know, just that womanly nature of, like, wanting to bring this baby home into a beautiful place and the crib that you've prepared. Mary got all that stripped away. I mean, can you think about, there's no room for the pregnant woman that's about to give birth. What is actually happening? Like, uh, relationally, that that would be the case? They kind of boot her to the garage? Are you feeling that, guys? I mean, wouldn't any normal person say, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. Come stay in the best house in our room, right? Or any, even a stranger. There's something going on here, right? But notice, right? God is working in the middle of a very difficult situation for Mary and Joseph. And they don't see any of it. Now this is like the biggest event in human history. I guess you can debate about, you know, Pentecost or crucifixion or resurrection, but this is this begins it all. All the rest of that is just is just the the inevitable result of the incarnation and the birth of Jesus. It is God, as I said before, joining himself to matter, to physical matter and to a human flesh. It's an eternal commitment to what he has created that he would join himself to it. It's absolutely incredible. What if God was like this to you? Hey, listen, 
I got a mission for you. You want to hear what it is? You're like, okay, God, sure. You're going to send me to Africa, you know? No, 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 no. Uh, the slugs are having a really hard time receiving the gospel. I need someone to take a few years out of their life, become a slug, slug around, slime around, and preach the gospel to the slugs. They're not really going to like it. They're going to kill you with their sluggy, you know, they're going to suffocate you in their sluggy pile, okay? But then I'll raise you from the dead as a resurrected slug, and they will all repent and turn to me, okay? I mean, this is ridiculous, right? I just want you to understand, right, the level it was for Jesus to become a human being and enter the brokenness of this world. That illustration doesn't even compare to what Jesus did, emptying himself, giving up his glory, and entering into the mess of this world, ultimately to suffer death at the hands of wicked people, right? Are you following me? This is the commitment of God and the love for you that he has, and the love for what he's created, and the love for this whole world and every person on it. It is is just amazing, the love that God has. We serve a God of love. Not a God of oppression or subjugation or someone that's just looking for a bunch of people to do his will. He wants you to enter into a loving family relationship with him. That is priority number one. The whole mission of God and serving him, that stuff just takes care of itself when we walk in relationship of love with Jesus. So here's what Mary and Joseph don't get to see. Okay, Micah read the next section. You've heard, you know, Charlie Brown's friend. Who is it, Linus? Famous quote here, gave it the shepherds. Okay? The, the key phrase in this whole passage is this. Good news of great joy for all people. That is what this is about. God wants to bring this world delight, wonder, joy, relationship, glory, That is what he's wanting to bring to a dark world. And that is what the shepherds get to experience, right? It says that the the, not the glory of angels surrounds them. What does it say? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You ever pick up on that? An angel appears, but then God's own glory manifests. And in so I don't know what that looked like, but they saw something amazing. Right? They're, they're terrified. Then they're enraptured, right? They hear the angels shouting this deal. This is what God is about, is bringing the light of his glory and his joy into this world. Guys, if it, if it doesn't have joy, it's not Jesus. That's always the baseline. Yes, there's time for repentance. Yes, there's time for godly sorrow that turns us towards that. But it's always encompassed by joy. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not his back of the hand. Kick of the foot. That's not how God operates. He's full of joy. He's full of life. He's full of gladness. The passage talks about Jesus, the, the, the angels tell these guys, David, city of David. Wing, 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 wing. Right? That should be, if you're a Jew, that's, that's beeping. That's beeping for you. It's saying, what? David? What? The Lord told David, back in the Old Testament, there was going to be a king that would rule on his throne forever. 
That king hasn't come yet. What, David? What, King David? What? Bing, right? And he says, it's going to be, he's going to be the Savior. He will save the people. He's the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. And he says he's the Lord, which either is, could be God himself or he's going to be a king. All of this is to say that our joy is not just grounded in some kind of spiritual abstract reality, although it is first and foremost in the spiritual realm. It's coming to bear in this world. The world has a king. It is not the devil. It is Jesus. Jesus is on a throne sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Creator, well, they're all the Creator, of the universe, invading earth with His kingdom. It is a political statement that Jesus is Lord because the statement back then before Him was Caesar Augustus is Lord. No, no, no. Jesus is King. Of the increase of His government and peace, as we read at the beginning, there will be no end. The kingdom of God is breaking into the physical reality and life that we live. Are you tracking with me? It is a reason for celebration, right? This is joy. There is a Savior. There is an anointed one. There is a king over this world. His name is Jesus. His kingdom is coming to bear. It's going to keep rolling out until it fills the earth, right? The knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as water covers the sea. This is what's happening. This is a reason for rejoicing. This is why we sing songs. This is why this is a party. I guess you're going to sit and listen to preaching. Uh, is that a normal party? It's kind of a weird party. Okay. <clears throat> this will be a sign to you. So here's the sign. Wow, glory of God, angels, man, David, Messiah, Savior, Lord. Here's the sign. Go look for a water trough. The baby's going to be in there. What? Well, the shepherds must understand it. Because you, as you heard in the skit, they're the, they're the least of these, right? They're the ones that are kind of shoved on the, on the fringes of society. And so for them, they say, great, hallelujah, he's in a trough for animals to feed in. Let's go see him. It's an upside-down kingdom that God is bringing. He's taking the humble, and he's raising them up. Those who are oppressed and setting them free. Those who are under oppression, he's breaking the chains. He's releasing He's turning the whole world right side up. That everyone, that every person, every nationality, every country, every ethnicity, everyone, every every gender, male, female, they would all know the kingdom of God is for them and the joy of the Lord is theirs in Jesus. There's no exclusion to any created being actually. We're all wrapped into the amazing joy of God that is filling the universe. That's what's going on. The shepherds become the first proclaimers as a sign that this is for everybody. Right? And it's God's favor. They mention favor. The word favor, that they are favored. There's this favor going on. Right? That the the, the peace of God would rest upon those whom he has favored. Well, who's that? Anyone that would receive the favor that God is pouring out every moment. All right, the last section, okay, starting in verse 15. The shepherds go, they tell Mary. This is the response here to what God is doing and what God is speaking. It says they glorify and praise God. Now, we moved yesterday, and one challenge that God's been working on me is something that we've been talking about this whole year, and that is complaining. 
Went through that series, right? With Exodus back in February. Complaining is the devil. A hundred percent. There's nothing holy about complaining. It is insidious. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenge to the goodness of God and the love of God. It's an affront to that. Anytime we complain, we're saying, God, you're not good, or God, you don't care. It's challenging his character. And so as we were moving, you know, there was a struggle going on because uh, for whatever reason, I just have a hard time when things aren't in their place, you know. And so during the day I'm moving, it should be a joyous occasion, moving into this home but there's always that undercurrent, that challenge of I'm going to complain because, oh, there's a challenge. You couldn't get the headboard up the stairs. And, okay, this got dented here. Or, you know, all these little things that happen. That's, that's just a little illustration for our whole lives. We always have a choice to let the circumstances dominate and complain and challenge the character of God. Or we can just let the joy of the Lord roll and let go of these things that we want to hold on to. The shepherds are glorifying and praising God. They go out, they share the good news of others, right? They, they bring this good news, they, they go see the baby, and then they share this with all these different people. Now, there's this puzzling little verse that Micah read. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Remember, she didn't get the vision, right? She had a vision, but in the midst of her difficult circumstance, giving birth with the animals, probably feeling rejected relationally from her in-law family, not fun, and putting her baby in this manger, bummer. That's not quite the birth I was hoping for, okay, in terms of the birth experience. And, and, the, and the shepherds, there comes a bunch of these dirty shepherds in, busting in, and it's like, what is going on here? But she doesn't see the vision. But she ponders it in her heart. She receives the testimony of others as her own testimony. You follow me? This breaks the power of comparison like that. When you stand up here and say, man, God rescued Dash and his family. How come he's not doing that for me? You go, no, that's my testimony. God rescued Dash. And I claim that as my own testimony. It's because it's a testimony about Jesus, who's my Lord, who's my protector, who's my Savior. Do you realize that every testimony in the Bible is your testimony? When you pray for someone that's sick and they don't get healed, you just go, Jesus, remember when you healed that guy? Right? Those blind men, those ten guys on the side of the road, lepers. Remember when you healed, pulled that guy off the mat? Remember when you raised that guy from the dead? Remember that, Jesus? Remember when you did that? Those are all your testimony. Because it's the testimony of Jesus. I'm getting this from Chris Gore. It's good, but I'm, I'm getting it from somebody else. Just give credit where credit's due, okay? I heard him speak. This guy spoke at a conference of ours with Antioch family, and I, and I read his book, and in this book he shared this. I just thought it was so powerful. Every testimony is your testimony. You claim it as saying, that's my Jesus. That's my Lord. That's my Holy Spirit. God is moving in this earth. He's going to move on my behalf too. And above all else, even when the problem's not solved, just as Mary's, you know, it wasn't like glory, boom, the baby Jesus is lifted up in a golden manger crib. You know, like that didn't happen. Right? Even in the middle of that, she's pulling this into her heart. 
the testimony even of someone else to encourage yourself and receiving the joy of the Lord in that moment. Let's have the worship team come back up. And here's the challenge for us today. Guys, the joy of Jesus is all around us. It is an ever-present reality because of the incarnation of God. And we now have the power to walk and enter into what the Bible calls the Sabbath rest of God in the book of Hebrews. Simply by letting go and receiving God's joy in the moment. This is the, uh, maybe I shared this last week. This is the one thing God's been working on me fiercely in this season. Of Brian, it's time to rest in my presence every moment. Let go. You're anxious. Let go of that and receive my joy. It's available right now because God has become a man, because Jesus is now here, because he died on the cross, but God raised him from the dead, and he sent his spirit. He poured out his spirit on us to give us power to live the life of Jesus all around us. This are yin and yang of mourning and joy for followers of Jesus. I don't think so. This is to be a life lived with an enormity of joy. And let me just tell you right now, if Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you can do it. You can have a legacy, a lifetime of living joyfully that people will look at you and marvel at the joy in your life regardless of what your circumstances may be. Jesus has joy for you. And it's a simple matter of training yourself to let go of the things around you and just rest in his joy. Let's stand and we're going to sing. Holy Spirit, would you come?